Hi, this is Tom and Cecil from Cognitive Distance, and we took a left at the valley. We did take a left at the valley. And a wrong and, turn in Albuquerque. And then <laughs> like, the left at the valley goes right to a glory hole. It it's like right nice. to a glory hole. <laughs> I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you from a sugar shack, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I took a lie detector test. No, I didn't. <laughs> Joining me as usual, the team that wonders, if you melted dry ice, could you take a bath without getting wet? <laughs> She's writing her own unauthorized biography, Nancy. Yeah, and it starts year, what's minus 332? <laughs> starts because I, always there. <laughs> and she wonders why Ninja Turtles wear masks. Who are they fooling? Teresa. <laughs> he wonders what <laughs> what do little birds see when they get knocked unconscious, Scott? I always thought it was little Tweety Birds. <laughs> and she took a course in speed waiting. Now she can wait an hour in only ten minutes. Katrina. <laughs> Christina, Christina, you were called the Katrina. My god, I'm so sorry. How could you? <laughs> Way to start a show. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. <laughs> Yeah, special happy, day. Happy Canada Day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I hope you guys had a uh, great uh, week. I, I, d- I did. My week was fantastic. There we go. <laughs> My roommate left. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Today we're going to do a very different kind of show. We're actually going to do the top 10 best moment of this day in history. And we're also going to talk about Canada because it is Canada Day and the 150th anniversary of our great country. That's right, and we don't look a day over 149. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're good. Okay. So here's my question. Okay, I, I was reading and doing a little research, sure. as I always do, and this morning when I looked, I realized I had totally overlooked this little sentence that says the year 2015 marks 150 years since Confederation. Well, 2015? It, uh, well, um, the year two, 20, 2017, yeah, okay. I'm sorry, yeah. So we've come to call it a Confederation, but Canada is actually a federation, but the term confederation caught on so what's the difference between federation and confederation let's hey, ask hey, hey. i can i can speed google that okay. <laughs> get on it <laughs> by definition the difference between a confederation and a federation is that membership of the member states in a confederation is voluntary while so, membership oh. in a federation is not so basically quebec can't leave <laughs> good one good, good one. one but here's a story that is really going to offend you guys that it offended me deeply as a canadian did you guys know that tim hortons is offering a poutine donut a what that's right that is amazing Com- complete with gravy and cheese curd and potato wedges but there's only one problem with that it's only available in the u.s what? Wait. <laughs> Feed it to Trump. He'll have a heart attack. Problem Wait. solved. Oh. 
Tim, what a crime! Tim Hortons is in the U.S.? Yeah, back east, there's a couple of them in the U.S., yes. It's not available long, in Canada. As long as it's been in Canada, Tim Hortons has been in the U.S. because Tim Horton was actually playing between Buffalo and, and, and Toronto at the time when he started. Really? Yeah. And back yeah. then, they used to build a Tim Horton and then they would toss a donut. Whatever it lands, it would build <laughs> another one. That's how it <laughs> happened. Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, is that because it's so awful that the Americans <laughs> don't realize that that's awful and they think they're doing a good thing, I but we know, know better? Right. <laughs> They, they wouldn't it, offer it here because nobody would actually we eat have the donut. That's right. We <laughs> have the real poutine. So we can be like, Apparently we only why get the would dutchie. I get that? We only well, get the dutchie for I'll, Canada. You know what? Based on the choice, I'll take the dutchie. <laughs> I don't know. I am deeply offended as a cane for this. I, I, am, I, totally I, I would be too, and I'm a dual citizen. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in BC politics, did you guys... Uh, Finds out the the uh, liberals got a non-confidence vote. Yes. So yeah. now we are looking to have an NDP government. Yep. Any thoughts on this? Well, uh. the, the, some of the people that I know are, are are happy about it because they think the NDP needs another chance after mm -hmm. 16 years, and they hate the liberals. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they're willing to take the chance, but it's very it ca they're cautiously optimistic. I don't have a personal opinion, so. What do you think, Kevin? Oh. oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just going to yeah. jump in and By say all means, yeah. go for it. that isn't there only one more on the NDP green side? Yes. And uh, actually, it's going to be a tie now because well, yeah, they actually the have speaker. to. The Speaker of the yeah. House, who usually doesn't vote, has yes. to come from the, the leading the party. Side. So now it's going to be like a 43-43 tie. Yeah. But in the case of a tie, the Speaker of the House does have the right to vote. Mm -hmm. to break do, a tie. do you know if there's any chance of them redoing the elect, like doing a snap election? No, that's done. That's done because when the uh, the uh, ex-premier, I guess now, Christy Clark, yeah. went to the uh, lieutenant oh, governor, thank you. she had two options. She had to ask for either a snap election, uh, yeah. like you said, or... Uh, or uh, to uh, ask the leader of the opposition, uh, John Horgan, if he could uh, so uh, create a government. So, of course, Christy Clark asked the lieutenant governor if she could have another election. The lieutenant governor shoot her off and said, okay, I'll make a decision. And then she decided, the lieutenant governor decided, no, I'm going to ask John Horgan and the, NDP, uh, and the Green Coalition to form government. And they said, yes, we have the majority of the, uh, the members. We will form government. Okay. So that's where it stands so, right now. So to pass any legislation or anything, they'll just need to... Make sure everybody's there and nobody's sick and yeah. everybody can yeah. vote. Yeah, that's the big and one. And if they can convince someone on the liberal side to vote with them. Yeah, that too. Okay. That too. But it's become extremely partisan like in the States. And well, I don't with like the, yeah. Wait a minute. With the three... It's three Green Party yes. people, right? Yeah. With the three greens, I thought that put them at 44. You did? Yeah. So, so they actually have one Well, the thing is, they have to nominate one of their people for the, for the speaker, speaker, and the speaker oh, isn't so supposed to be to partisan. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's so it's, it's going to be interesting. BC politics are always interesting anyway. And I think we should totally do a show and ask the, the people from Politico's, the Canadian podcast, to come on our show. That but how do you do the Christie's Out dance? <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Well, I know, I know we, we'd have. I, I know there's a member of the Green Party that would that would come and and talk with us. I bet you. So oh, I don't. Sure. I don't know what. I don't know if we could find an NDP person. I got one in mind, but I, I sure know we'll there see. might be a Green 
party person that would that would come on. I think it'd make a fun show, and it would be educational to our uh, American and and, and uh, people from other countries. That maybe, are listeners. maybe. Yeah. And even some can Canadians who aren't following politics yeah. closely. Yeah. That's always interesting yeah. too. Um, in the U.S., the U.S. Supreme Court has actually allowed Donald Trump's travel ban. Did you guys yes, see that? Yes, Partially. I, I heard this on Bill uh, Bill Mayer. It should take effect in October. So now the uh, the new criteria, there are new criteria for the uh, for visa applicants who will require travel travelers to have close families or business to come in the states. Of course, these six countries we're talking about is Syria, Sudan, Somalia, Libya, Iran, and Yemen. So but Saudi Arabia is allowed to fly their people over, have them hop on planes, they and crash into yeah. buildings. I mean, that's yeah, exactly. So of exactly. course, that's always a fun look at the U.S. Yeah, yeah and now I, I don't know whether the ACLU or or one of the organizations are are um, thinking of of going to court to clarify what a bona fide relationship is because it looks like the Trump administration again has defined very narrowly defined what a family or bona fide relationship is. For instance, a sister can come in uh, under that rule, but grandparents can't. Mm-hmm. And when you have families that have been torn apart by war, and you have family members that are scattered, and you don't have, you know, the the, the, the close familiar, but you do have a cousin who's a lot. Why shouldn't that cousin? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're due for another another round of of interesting um, yeah. maneuvers in the states on the travel ban. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Arkansas, I don't know if you guys saw this story, but this is oh, wonderful. Arkansas installed a statue of the Ten Commandments on the grounds oh, of yes. the uh, state capitol. <laughs> Which lasted all of one day? Yeah. <laughs> Less than 24 hours, some guy named Michael Reed <laughs> ran it over with his car, oh and he recorded gosh. the whole thing on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> now, this guy's got oh a story gosh. of uh, mental instability, and apparently... <laughs> I like him. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, the cops saw him do it, and apparently he ran over the... The the, the 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 slab of marble, I guess, or the granite, whatever it's made of, and it's shouting freedom. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's oh awful, but the guilty pleasure is somewhere back. You're going, yay! <laughs> it's awful. I mean, we should do a GoFundMe. We, we should do a GoFundMe for his for his uh, his, his defense. <laughs> yeah, for his defense. <laughs> I mean, we don't condone the destruction of property no. in any way, shape, or form. But you can't help in the back of your mind to go, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally got it right. Oh, perfect. And in just regular news, the iPhone turns 10. Wow. Yeah. Seriously? I know. 10 years of iPhone. I had no idea. That's slightly Nobody terrifying. cares. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it really old It hasn't fallen off now. the face of the planet now? No, not yet. Oh. <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay. Well, perfect. Guys, today, of course, is the 150th anniversary of Canada. What a wonderful country. It is. It absolutely is. Now, <laughs> he's saluting. <laughs> now, what you guys might not know is, you know, we always have all these facts about Canada. And I've got here a huge list of quirky <laughs> facts about Canada. And <laughs> Is there a beaver census? <laughs> Good one. So, so you guys can tell me what you think about all this. Did you know that the Canadian Royal Mint made a $1 million coin? (laughs) It was 99.99% gold, and it weighed 220 pounds. And it's actual legal currency. You could actually use it if you wanted to. That's a huge coin. If you could pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) 
did you know <laughs> that Canada, 30% of Canada is covered by forest? Yep. Huh. Did you know that the current Canadian flag came official February 15, 1965? Uh-huh. There were 13 designs of flags, Canadian flags, since 1497. Did you know that Canadians invented the gas mask during World War I? Woohoo! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you know that Canada is the garter snake capital of the world? Uh, there's a place called Narcisse, which is near, Lake, uh, near Winnipeg, Narcisse Lake, near Winnipeg. Do they have a garter snake celebration day someplace no, where I can avoid? I want to avoid being it is, there. It is something to watch. Garter snakes <laughs> apparently do this ball of ball snake of snakes and, thing. Yeah. I my when I was a kid, my siblings and I would always go and try to catch them. Yeah, because yeah. they're so snakes? harmless. Yeah, but, yeah. but it's, they're the yeah. one snake that actually excretes like this substance that smells. Yes, when they're, they're the stressed, one snake they that will, smells. You yeah. can pick them up and they'll wrap themselves around so you. And it is it's really a gross snakes, smell. You sure it's not a politician? <laughs> <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Did you know that the Canada was the first country to build an u- official UFO landing pad? Oh, my gosh. In St. Paul, Alberta <laughs> in 1967. Did you know that Canada has its own Loch Ness monster called the Ogopogo Yay! in Okanagan Yay! Lake? Yep. Woohoo! <laughs> I love that. <laughs> now Canada has two good records for uh, in the uh, Olympics, the most gold medal ones in Winter Olympics, and the most gold won by a host country. That was in 2010 for both of them. Yeah, uh-huh. go Canada. Did you yep. know that Wolverine is Canadian? Where's that blasted salami? I can smell it. Of course. Of course. Did you know that Montreal is the second largest French-speaking city in the world? Yep. Paris mm-hmm. being the first, of course. Did you know that from 1840 to 1860, the Underground Railroad sent runaways African-Americans to Canada? Yes, sir. Did you know that basketball is a Canadian invention? Wait, what? Yes, it was what? invented by, it was invented in the States, but by a Canadian. Joe Naismith. James Naismith. 1891. Oh, sorry, James Naismith. Did you know <coughs> that, was Joe. that Canada is the most educated country in the world? Woo-hoo! With 99% literacy rate and half of Canadians have a college degree. Half? half? I didn't realize that it, that was uh, wow. So I'm I'm in the dumber half, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the I'm in the educated half. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> you got one. Did you know that Canada's got pop? Sorry, I said you young pup. Yeah. <laughs> I I was educated. I was college educated before I was twenty. Wow. Oh, wow. She's a smart one on the podcast. Me too. <laughs> the ladies are taking over. We've got two ladies in here with college educations. What are, oh, you two too. I do too. Oh, That's God. Right. We're talking the guys on the dumb guys. Yeah, of course. But, but from the state, so I same don't know. Thing. What, oh. Come on, <laughs> college <laughs> education, university education is the same. Yeah. Did you know that Canada has the most lakes in the world? There are two million lakes in Canada. Did you know that there's a crate on Mars named after Gander, Newfoundland? <laughs> Which well, of course pioneered mimics the same, <laughs> same, same topography. It's a, it's a, <laughs> the same hole in the ground. No, it's because uh, Gander, Newfoundland was a, a town that pioneered efforts in aviation. Did you know that Winnie the Pooh was based on a real bear in Winnipeg? Yes, I knew that. Did you know yeah. that 40, 40 dinosaur species and 500 specimens were found in Canada? Hmm. Did you know that 6.8 million Canadians are foreign born, which is 20.6% of the population? The highest in the G8. Damn, we sound good, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that Canada produces 77% of the world's maple syrup? Well, that's yes. good. Yes. Yeah. And 91% of that actually comes from Quebec. 
Did they ever? Did they ever had like a um, a maple syrup contest between Vermont syrup and Quebec syrup? We'd just kill them. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. Though, if we reinstitute the death penalty, I want it to be death by syrup. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that the creator of Superman, Joe Schuster, is Canadian? Woohoo! Mm. Did you know that 60% of the world's polar bears are in Canada? Yay! Well, for now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in, if you go to Churchill in uh, Manitoba, people leave their cars unlocked just in case you get attacked by a bear. You can yeah. just jump in any car. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that icebergs from Greenland are harvested by Newfoundland to make wine, beer, and vodka? Wow. As they float by, the word Kanata was Iroquois for village, and that's where the word Canada comes from. Uh-huh. In 1943, Ottawa designated hospital room, one hospital room, extraterritorial, so a I Dutch princess could be born, because wow. she needs her Dutch citizenship to stay a princess. Wow, that's wow. amazing, and that 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 exemplifies what Canada yep. that's is. That's nice. I mean, that's nice to the extreme, isn't that's, it? Yeah, yeah, that's extreme. And then, yeah. isn't that why they send us tulips every year? And I was getting that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But every don't, <laughs> don't stomp on his parade, okay? <laughs> every year, the Netherlands do send t- thousands of tulips to show gratitude, and that was because of World War II. Yeah. See, she you give know. a woman an education. <laughs> <laughs> she, she just takes over yes, the show. She takes over. <laughs> well, this is a Christina show. <laughs> so did you know that the Westboro Baptist Church was banned from entering Canada? Hell yeah. Thank God. <laughs> Did you know excuse that? My, excuse my, my <laughs> thing, but thank yeah. God. <laughs> Did you know that Canadians consume 55% more craft dinner than Americans? Well, it's because ours is better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I always thought it was the same. No, <laughs> it's different. Ours is so much better. <laughs> Did Canadian you, cheese, that's why. <laughs> Did you know that Canada has an apology act, which actually means compassion and empathy, not an admission of guilt, and cannot be taken to court? That is so. Are crazy. you serious? <laughs> okay, that one. So when you apologize, it's not an admission of guilt. In Canada. It's, well, it's, it's true. basically saying empathy and and, and compassion. You know, like if I real... did do that, I would be sorry. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that in 1930 the Canadian hockey team was so badass they didn't even have to play the knockout rounds and they were just placed directly in the final game, oh which of gosh. course they won. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> of course. Did you know that Canada is the official residence of Santa Claus? Of course. I did not. Did you know that... <laughs> I am Santa Claus. <laughs> did you know that George Street in Newfoundland has more pubs per square feet than anywhere in North America? Oh, and it's an awesome street. I, I must visit this place. <laughs> <laughs> did you know there's a Canadian island called Dildo? Oh yes, there is. Probably in Newfoundland. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that Tommy Douglas, the guy who gave us the Canadian healthcare, is Kiefer Sutherland's grandfather? No. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Did you know that the Canadian McDonald's is the only place that you could exclusively buy a McLobster? Yes. Uh, not anymore. No. That's strange. Uh, I think they offered a McLobster somewhere down in the States now, too. Oh, and they wow. think it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's McDonald's, what do you expect? <laughs> did you know that a Canadian man invented Hawaiian pizza? Yeah, I did know that. And yes. he just passed Ottawa. away last week. He was I, from Ontario. I, Ottawa. I, I am one of those Ottawa really area. weird people that will not eat pizza if there's not pineapple on it. <laughs> <laughs> so you like Canadian pizza? I do. <laughs> did you know that the term trick-or-treat was first used in Alberta? What? Mm. Yeah, I know. Huh? Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm not done with this list. 
Did you know that Canada has a secret underground lab in Sudbury, Ontario, studying neutrinos and dark matter? Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's like two miles down, too. Yes. Into, oh the, into, the, the, into the granite. Yeah. Into oh granite. Yeah. This is a magical place. It is. Did you know that the Greenback Inc., you know, that's used in American money, was invented in Montreal in 1857 by Thomas Hunt? And then we thought it was gross, so we gave it to them. <laughs> <laughs> we like our rainbow. <laughs> Did you know that most of the world's casium, which is uh, what they use for the, uh, the radioactive element they use for atomic clocks, is actually... Cesium. Cesium, sorry. Cesium. Cesium. My apologies. <laughs> I stand corrected. Is in Manitoba. Did you know that we have the world's safest highways for animals? There's yes, almost four, yes. There's almost 40 wildlife overpasses and underpasses. And then we also have those cool door things. That I never saw that. Oh, um, on highways, the the sides of the roads are fenced, but yeah. periodically there'll be a like this one-way door that animals can, if they're stuck on the highway, they can use these doors to get back into oh, cool. the safe on the safe side, huh. and they can't use it to get back. Hmm. It's Very so cool. cool. Did you know that Alberta has a national park larger than Switzerland? That's the Wood oh. Buffalo Park. Huh. Did you know that there's an annual bathtub race in Nanaimo? Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, I knew that. Very cool. <laughs> Did you know that approximately 250 car accidents per year happen due to moose? <laughs> mostly, mostly in Newfoundland. Probably. <laughs> Did you know that the word Canuck was first used in 1835? Did you know that only eight countries in the world are deemed less corrupt than Canada? Seriously. Less corrupt? Less corrupt. Which ones wow. are they? Uh, th- I don't have that list, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, we'll go start some corruption in them. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that Canada is the best G20 country in the world to be a woman? Yes. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know the IMAX technology is Canadian? No. For the movie IMAX. Very cool. Yes. Um, Thank you, Science World. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that 80.5% of Canadian homes have the internet? Wow. Which ones don't? Usually usually people that live right outside of major centers east of Ontario. It's it's really crappy. Actually, my girlfriend, her grandparents don't have internet because they live too far out in the boonies. Mm -hmm. And that's by where I grew up. My son lives 20 minutes from Fredericton on a main highway and cannot get internet. We we still had dial up like five years ago at my parents' house. It was... Horrible. Do they? Is it like Nunavut and places like that? Well, it doesn't say. I only have yeah. those. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have time to research every state. No, no. I, I would assume you're. You know, Chris, Christina's on the ball. Yeah, it, it did it say all. Christina's old yeah. home doesn't have internet. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have internet now, but her, my girlfriend's grandparents don't. <laughs> where are they? Right by where I live. It's just. Yeah. See, that's yeah. right here in BC, right? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. They're they're yeah, probably about. Half an hour away from where I we think, are right now. I think people in Nunavut actually use satellite. Mm. So they have high-speed internet. So they do still have internet. Did you know that Canada has the longest coastline in the world? And if you were to walk it without stopping, it would take you 4.5 years to walk it. Mm. Very cool. And every second would be worth it because it's beautiful. That's oh, right. That's, oh, of course, you'd go. <laughs> going around northern, northern Quebec in the summertime would be rather... You would, you would be eaten alive. Yeah. yeah you sure. would not come out the other side you looking know. the same. If it, if it wasn't the bears, it's the mosquitoes and the black flies that'll get you. Yeah. And last, but I'd certainly not least. I'd probably take the bears over the mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> last and certainly not least, did you know that Canada has more donut shops per capita worldwide? <laughs> <laughs> so that. That's because Tim Hortons is counted as a donut shop. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it well, is a donut it shop. It was a donut shop originally. That's what it was. Tim Hortons was a coffee and donut shop that served truckers chili. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. That's I didn't what know their that. menu was back in the 70s. No wonder their chili <laughs> is so good. <laughs> chili is the original hot food from Tim Hortons. Good to know. All right, so let's go to commercial, and uh, when we come back, we're going to do the top 10 of this day in history. But before we do that, I just want to play this wonderful little clip from Jim Carrey about Canada. Listen to this. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jim Carrey, and how are you this evening? All righty then. <laughs> I grew up in Canada... Is there anybody here from Canada? <laughs> now, I used to get really upset when I told people where I came from down in Los Angeles because I always got the same response. Canada? Wow. <laughs> Must have been cold. <laughs> now I just go along with them. Yes, Canada. It was a frozen, hostile wasteland. And there was much work to be done. If we were to survive the elements, after boring a hole through the ice to find food, my good friend Nantuck and I would build an igloo to protect ourselves from polar bears and flying hockey pucks. <laughs> Then we would drink a lot of beer. And when Nantuck was ready, he would tell me the story of the great moose who said to the little squirrel, Hey, Rocky, me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Oh, that was wonderful. Oh, right on. <laughs> Can I just say that that was one of the first YouTube clips I ever watched? And it really? is to this day one of my favorite <laughs> things on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, because I just, I mean, it portrays our day-to-day -day life so beautifully. <laughs> and, and every time a Canadian goes to the States, we lie out of our asses. Oh, yeah. We're totally <laughs> no I've seen here. people show up at the Niagara Falls border with skis on their on the raft. Oh, my God. Yeah, they show up with skis on thinking there's a mile wall of ice there. Yeah, that, happened, that happened to me right here in BC, too. The Great White North. Okay, so let's go to a commercial then. We'll be right back. I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. 
Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. All right, <laughs> we're back. 1975, 1976, Trooper. Uh, I think Race it's 78, L. actually. Is it that late? I thought it was 76. That late. <laughs> <laughs> well, Your some age of us, is some, showing. Some of us are a little older, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, the Canadian in me is coming out. <laughs> hey, it's the right day for that to happen, right? Oh, perfect. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. You were talking about the ski roofs on the... On the and, uh, and the wall of snow. That happened to me right here in BC when I, <laughs> when I used to drive truck, right? And for some reason, no offense, Nancy, for some reason, it's always a Texan. It's always a Texan. And uh, this is the middle of July, and this guy, <laughs> you know, he, he crosses the border and he signals me. So I rolled out my window and he says, excuse me, sir. He says, can you direct me to the mountains? Oh I said, God. the mountains? <laughs> this is July. I said, you're going skiing? I said, yeah. I said, well, okay, well, you're on Highway 15 there. You just follow that all the way to Highway 1. And then you head west. So you drive there west on Highway 1 for three hours and then wait three months. That's what it was all This guy obviously would expected to see a wall of snow yeah. there as soon as oh, he yeah. crossed over. So, uh, well, We, we are him. not in the Game of Thrones world, people. <laughs> That's right. sort, sort of apropos of that, my, my niece was on a plane um, coming back from, from someplace and there were two Americans sitting next to her and they got into a conversation and one of them turned to her and said, well, we want to be prepared. What side of the road do you guys drive on? Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 and she, you know, her ticket, she, had to, she had to pull out her Canadian, you know, nice face because she said, how do I answer this, you know, that Tactfully. kind of question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is when you pull out your BS skills and start like, drive, what do you mean? Uh-oh. Yeah. We use our dog sleds. Well, we actually, when I was in Ohio, right. I, I was in Ohio, I was on a trip, this was back in the 80s, I was on a trip to Fort Knox, Kentucky, and we were going through Ohio, and somebody got into a conversation with a, with a group of them, I mean, they were interested, right? Hey, a bunch of kids from Canada, and so what do you guys, how do you guys drive up there? Well, we don't. You know, once in a while, my dad lets me take the moose to school. <laughs> <laughs> You guys have they actually believe us. <laughs> you guys have horsepower in your cars. We have husky power. That's way better than slender. Oh, I got to I got to tell you the story. This is a true story. When I was in Quebec, I used to hang with some of the guys of the uh, Royal Twenty Second, the vendor, the vendor, the vendor. Yeah. Oh. And and they, they tell the story of when they came because I was telling them I was moving uh, west, right, uh, to Vancouver. And the, the guy tells me the story of how he came down west and then with his platoon, right, and then they went to Seattle. Now, the funny thing is, for American friends, what you might not know, is the, the Canadian soldier has, they all wear the green beret, right? Yep. But for the, the average American, they don't know this. Green beret, of course, it's is special, special forces. forces. 
So this American soldier seeing this platoon of Canadians all with green berets, they think, oh my God, these are all like crack military yeah, Canadian we, guys. we know better. They were Van Dues. Come on. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. The Van Dues were good. The vendor was good. Yes, so, they so, were. so anyway, so he's talking, to, he's having this conversation with, with this uh, American soldier and he notices the, the Canadian frigate. Now the boat doesn't have, you know, the image of a boat, you think of the anchors hanging on the side of the boat. On a Canadian frigate, it doesn't have that. It's got these two big doors and the anchors are inside. Now the, the American soldier asking the Canadian uh, soldier, he says, why, why do you have these doors? So the guy kind of winks at his buddy and says, okay, he says, watch this. He says, well, he says, see, you see, in Canada, he says, uh, we don't have a lot of money for depth charges like the U.S., but we're really good with robotics. He says, really? Yeah, yeah, you know, like the Canadian arm in space. Oh, okay. So whenever there's a sub, we just park the boat on top of it. These two doors open, and these two mechanical robot arms come out and punch the submarine underneath the boat. And the soldier looks at it and says, you're kidding me. He says, no, no, it's quite true. That's how we do things in Canada. And the soldier walked away and said, okay, kind of a bit baffled by this answer. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful story. Oh. Why are Americans so easy to fool? <laughs> Some of them are. Some, Some of them are. Some of them are. Not, not all of them, of course. But we, we, like, we, like to, we love to jest with our American friends. Yeah, I know, but they, they think we're so nice that we're telling the truth. Why are we so mean? Well, I guess that's the question. I, I knew a guy that was in the service. Now, the, the Americans of course, like to think their, their military is tough. So at the time, back in the 80s, we were still carrying around the FN C1A1, which mm -hmm. is a 12-pound rifle, 14 pounds with ammunition. It if was a heavy, it was if, a heavy if rifle. If you're carrying this for any distance, it's a very heavy rifle. And they got into kind of a, a little bit of a match with the Americans so the Canadians came up with the idea, well, if you guys are so tough, let's switch rifles. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then they went on the route march. <laughs> yeah, the Americans <sighs> realized their mistake about a third of the way into the route march. <laughs> yeah, have 14, 15 pounds for, for yeah, a weapon is yeah, pretty when heavy. Yeah, an M16 weighs a whole four pounds. Yeah, right? it's pretty <laughs> heavy. It's, it doesn't look like that much when you hold it for th three seconds, but when you hold it for an hour, it's, yeah. yeah, it's heavy. All right, so today we're doing the top 10 of this day in history. Now, we got some clips to play, but before that, uh, the uh, first two top 10, I guess, uh, Nancy, you'll just do manually, and uh, these are going to be a bit of a clip show. We're just going to yeah. do a bit of a track back into this day in history. All right. Okay. Coming in at number 10. Well, be before that, when Kevin <clears throat> when Kevin wanted to do the top 10 show, I thought, oh, what am I going to do to pull out the ones that um, are the top 10? So I did it very scientifically. The first 10 that came to mind, <laughs> those are the, the top 10. <laughs> and it's scientific because I thought the ones that I would remember and come to mind absolutely first have to be the ones that probably you know everybody would would qualify say if they'd heard them would be the top 10 mm -hmm. so they're scientifically sifted out that <laughs> 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 if anybody if anybody wants to argue or send me in one that they like better we can do another top 10 next year sure why sure. not Okay. We've had some of the best moments on the show with that. Oh, we have. Just in history, for we, sure. We some have. funny, funny moments. They're, they're funny, funny moments. Number 10. Okay, coming in at number 10 was one that we did um, back in April, on April 28th. Every April 28th, we talk about Operation Mincemeat or 
the man who never was. And that's a story in World War II that involved the acquisition and dressing up of a human cadaver mm. as Major William Martin <clears throat> and putting him into the sea near Spain. And the reason this was done in 1943 was because the, um, the German intelligence service uh, needed to be fooled as to where invasions were going to take place. So they took this poor Major William Martin and attached to him a briefcase containing fake letters that falsely stated that the Allied attack would be against Sardinia and Greece rather than Sicily where it really was planned. So when the body was found with all of the false pocket litter and data and everything else, the Spanish intelligence service passed the copies of the papers to the German intelligence service, which the um, allies knew that's exactly what was going to happen. So the ruse was so successful that the Germans believed that Sardinia and Greece were the intended objectives and uh, the landings be began in Sicily and were successful. And that grew into a movie called The Man Who Never Was. That was so an extremely clever it was thing very to do. Clever. Take, take uh, the, this body of a homeless person and disguise it as a major. Yeah, late, uh, afterward they did give him credit. There were books written about it and documentaries, and so he was given given credit for helping to. Uh, extremely gruesome, but extremely clever at the same time. It, it it was. You have to you know really give whoever it was that sat around the big table and said, "I've got an idea." <laughs> you know, wow. That was that was great. Actually, we're doing this for the show next week. Uh, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you want me to sit around the table or be yeah. the dead guy? <laughs> You got the briefcase. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Whoever's got the briefcase. Number nine. Coming in at number nine, also in April, and this happens to be one of my one of my favorite stories because the protagonist in this story's name is Plenty Wingle. How can you not be in the top ten of something if your name isn't Plenty Wing? For, for the audience, like something not, out of a book. For the audience, <laughs> I might not know. Nancy's got these things about names, right? She just I loves love the names. names. She just loves them. If so. it's a if it's a good name, it's like the best name ever. You know, to me, of someone who lives in Texas is Dallas Studenmeyer, <laughs> who was a, wow. <laughs> was a sheriff in a small town. I just love love names. Anyway, the second best thing about Plenty Wingo was that he came from Wichita Falls, Texas. <laughs> you can't, I mean, what a, what a combination. I, I lived in Wichita Falls, um, but I never, knew, I never knew that Plenty Wingo came from there or I would have gone to, his, gone to his grave and had a wonderful conversation with him, I'm sure. Anyway, the reason why Plenty is at number nine is because in 1931, he walked across America backwards. He walked across from Santa Monica, California. Well, actually, he walked across the world. He went from Santa Monica, California to Istanbul, Turkey, and it took him from April the 15th, 1931, to October 24th, 1932, and he was 36, so he wasn't an old so, teacher. So, so what do you do one morning and wake up and decide, you know what, I'm just going to walk backwards? Actually, How he does did. That start? He did. He, you know, he he wore out four pair of shoes. He had special glasses. And the funny thing about it is that when he he took the boat, you know, uh, um, from California across, he walked backwards on the boat. So he would be, <laughs> he could say, "Yes, I really walked backwards." But he actually he started from Fort Worth, and when he got back, 
his wife divorced his wife. Gee, <laughs> I wonder divorced, why. Yeah, because he was just so obsessed with, you know, this, that, and she had to be by herself with the kids and waiting for him to come back. And no the whole income. Thing. Yeah. Their, their marriage wasn't moving forward. <laughs> no. But, well uh, said. Yeah. Ding the bell, will you? <laughs> yeah. And he, he was in the Wax Museum, Ripley's um uh, believe it or museum, not. Believe it or not. And Ripley's, so where they show is the back of his? <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet they did. And uh, Ripley called him the greatest exponent of reverse pedestrianism. Oh my He's God. the only reverse exponent. <laughs> the reverse pedestrianism. I love it. A reverse pedestrianism. Yeah. So anyway, here's, here's to you, Plenty. I love you. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how many times in his trip backwards across Canada... He tripped. Well, not across. He didn't, <laughs> he, he didn't come across Canada. He didn't came. Oh, he went, sorry. He went, no, he went straight across the US. in a circle. Yeah, he yeah. went through the oh, U.S. Yes, I, sorry. I originally said so he, the U.S. He started in California, started, went to Turkey, or went across no, to started in Texas. To Turkey, yeah. And went to, all the way to California. Then he crossed the Pacific. He right. went to, he got to Istanbul. There were countries that he couldn't go to. He was blocked because oh, of the, okay. the, uh, the politics. <laughs> so then yeah. he, he came Nobody back. walks backwards in Korea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go around. <laughs> anyway, and you've got clips for number eight, right? Got number eight. Here we go. You want to introduce number eight? Number eight. In number eight, <clears throat> another Texas story, um, and it has to do with the red camel ghost. Okay. And everything is explained on the the clip. This is this fits the bizarre category. Okay, let's listen to that. So most Americans and Canadians as well know that Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederate States of America from 1861 to 1865. But before becoming president, he served as a U.S. Senator from Mississippi and also in a militia unit during the um, Mexican-American War. And he was Secretary of War under President Franklin Pierce. Anyway, as a young Army officer getting to the point here, he was approached by a fellow officer who recommended that the U.S. Army use camels as transportation. Sounds a little strange, Why not? but this soldier said that camels had the ability to survive in the harsh desert environment, uh, which was very much like the Southwest. They could do it on very little food and water, and they had great strength and stamina. So 20 years later, Jefferson Davis remembered all of this and actually ordered the creation of the first U.S. Camel Corps. Did you ever in your life, did you ever know that there was a U.S. Camel Corps? In no, Texas? I just knew that in the 50s, doctors preferred camels. They did. <laughs> <laughs> but could they ride them? <laughs> no, probably not. So Major Henry Wayne was sent to Turkey to acquire 62 camels and trainers who would teach the U.S. soldiers the proper handling and use of the animals. So they were transported to Indianola, Texas just sort of in, the, in the, the south part of Texas. And they were driven overland to the newly established Camp Verde, which is in Kerr County, which is in the, the center of, of Texas. So almost immediately, the officers began to make notes regarding the, the camels. They were terrible. They didn't get along with the, the other camels. They didn't get along with anybody else. So they were really difficult to, uh, to keep and to, and to try and train. So they hired a Turkish guy named Haji Ali, who they called Hajali, and he <laughs> began, yeah, he began, tra in Texas, that makes perfect sense. 
So he began training the cavalry soldiers who would be using the animals to survey West Texas. I mean, they actually had a, had a use. They were going to survey Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico territories. So he also established a breeding program. So Jefferson Davis' um, uh, experiment proved to be a success. However, and this is the big however, the Civil War intervened, and con uh, Confederate um, soldiers took over the, um, the, the uh, Camp Verde at, in Kerr, Texas, and they didn't know what to do with the camels. The surveying jobs were, at, were over because now they were in the middle of the war. So what were they going to do with the camels? So the soldiers didn't know, the militias didn't know, nobody knew, there's no records that revealed if the camels were ever used by the Confederates. So most historians think that they did the easiest thing possible, they released them onto the Texas Plains. So here go the camels. I don't know how many, there were 62 originally. So a number of them must have survived because years later, in 1883, a woman living on a southern Arizona, this gets complicated, but it's a funny story. A woman living on a southern Arizona ranch was trampled to death by what one witness described as a huge red beast with a skeletal creature riding on its back. Local ranchers pursued the beast, but only found cloven hoof prints and clumps of red animal hair along the trail. And as sightings of the beach began, a beast began to emerge from southern Arizona. Wild tales of this beast became larger and more elaborate, especially with something, you know, a, a saddle and something yeah. riding on its back. So they dubbed this the Red Ghost. <laughs> yeah, so a few months later and several sightings later, prospectors working in the Verde River, Arizona area encountered the ghost. They fired their rifles at the beast, causing it to run away, and in its retreat, something fell from its back, which would later be identified by a local doctor as a human skull with flesh and hair still attached. So much for the ghost. Yeah, I mean, yeah. here's this red beast is, they think something's attached, and now they find the skull in the middle of Arizona. It was just, you can imagine the uh, the interest that, that this story, the silk story caused. Anyway, so the discovery of the skull strengthened the tales of the red ghost, and shortly after that, it was written up in the local paper that the beast might be a camel. But no one in that area had ever seen a camel before, so they wouldn't even have recognized it, even if they, they knew what one looked even like. Even if it trampled on them? <laughs> and there was no plausible explanation why a skeleton and a camel would even be in Arizona in the first place. Anyway, the sightings continued for almost 10 years, believe it or not, till 1893, when a rancher, and here's another wonderful name, named Mizzou Hastings, sighted the red ghost grazing in his vegetable patch. He retrieved his rifle and whammo, one single shot, and he was dead. So ranchers gathered around, and now they found out exactly what it was. It was a camel, and they traced it back. They called it the devilish skeleton that had been seen riding the creature. And actually, it was a human skeleton that had been tied to that camel with thick leather straps many years earlier. Oh, so God. this camel for 10 years had He's been carrying, carrying, somebody on his carrying back. on his back 
it's a skeleton. So the origin of who that was was just lost to conjecture. Historians speculated that perhaps the man was tied to the camel as some form of revenge by the... Um, I think it's that doctor. The doctor that threw the camels. The doctor that threw the camel. So they never figured out exactly you know, who that guy was. They never you know, found anything to it. But um, whoever it was... That skeleton and the red ghost have found their way into America's absolutely strange history. Strange indeed. And yeah, that's an interesting story. It's a long story. It's, it's, it is maybe interesting. Maybe a little though. longer than, than it should have gone, but it really the, 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 the history of it is, I, I think, fascinating. Well, the great thing about it is it gives a perfect example of uh, how myth starts. Exactly. You know, uh, it's a perfect example of, you know, within 10 years that the story of, you know, it's a camel, all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's, it's in the wilderness, and all of a sudden people are starting monster legends and stuff like that. It just shows exactly how mythology starts. It is, well, it, but it, you can see the logic of it because the, the, at its core, no one had ever seen a camel before. Mm -hmm. So there was no way to tie it to any real... A living animal that they that they knew about. Yeah, nowadays we would just take it as, why is there a camel here? <laughs> <laughs> All right, next. Number seven. Next at number seven is Topsy the Elephant. And oh, it's yes. a sad story, but I have an emotional attachment to Topsy because that was one of the first uh, history stories that we it told was the on the first. show. It was the well, first. Well, the, the first that you. The you, first that I did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, on, in January. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I have a clip here, but it's a shorter clip. So let's play. Yeah, that. it's a short clip. January the fifth in nineteen o three. This is a really, really strange um, little story, and uh, I end up telling it every year at this mm -hmm. time. But it still, still brings us back, and that is. Topsy the Elephant. Oh, Topsy. Topsy the Elephant. It's a stranger than fiction event because the cast, other than Topsy, includes George Westinghouse and Thomas Edison and took place of all locations Coney Island. So the, the thrust of the story is that Topsy was an Indian elephant who was owned by a circus. And he, he, this is the important part. She was a big girl. She was 10 feet high, 20 feet long, and weighed between four and six tons. From all accounts, she was not treated well at that circus and got the reputation for being a bad elephant. She was teased by some of the, the patrons that came, and she just, you know, they, they did not compensate by treating her well. So unfortunately, she got sold to a park in Coney Island. Island because she had a reputation of being uh, a rogue elephant. So the owners decided to euthanize her by hanging. <laughs> Can you, How do you hang an elephant? Yeah. Hmm. So the American Society, for, the SPCA stepped in and said, no, no, no hanging of elephants. But they had no objections to either strangling or poisoning. But that didn't seem to work really well. Now, the SPCA, you'd think during that time, would really be protective of animals. But I'll tell you a little story in just a second that leads us to believe that the SPCA has not always been hum as humane as they are today. So it was finally decided to electrocute her by using alternating current invented by George Westinghouse and to use the electric tower on Coney Island, which was built by Thomas Edison, 
which is very interesting because this just follows a period of time known as the War of the Currents. And the War of the Currents mm-hmm. was that Edison wanted direct um, current, while Westinghouse wanted alternating current. And it's a fascinating story in history if anybody wants to wants to read up on it. And, and of course, during, Nikola Tesla was in the Yeah, during this time, the, they were trying to decide how much current it took to um, uh, electrocute a man in an electric chair. And, and this was during the War of the Currents. And so the SPCA, in, in trying to determine the amount of voltage, practiced on stray dogs that would come in. Ouch. And, so, and animals. So th- leading up to Topsy's um, electrocution was not just something out of the air that somebody decided might be an interesting thing to do, but they had already had the SPCA who was practicing, which is a horrible event in history when you think it's the SPCA. But anyway, here's poor Topsy. Let's come back to Topsy for a minute. And they advertised the fact that they were going to uh, euthanize her by uh, electrocution. And crowds of up to 1,500 people came to the event, and she was led out, fitted with copper sandals and alternating current lines. She was fed carrots laced with potassium cyanide and then electrocuted by 6,600 volts of electricity. And mercifully, she died instantly and just collapsed to the ground. Cameramen from the Edison Manufacturing Company were there and filmed the event, and you can actually go to YouTube That's true. And, and watch it under the title Electrocuting an Elephant, which is... Uh, it's just, actually, it is on YouTube. It it's a little breaks, black, green yeah. and black and white video. It's actually there. Yeah, it, it, it really breaks your heart you know, to, to realize what happened to this poor animal and the part that the SPCA played in it. She's also, however, been commemorated in a memorial piece at Coney Island, and there is a book about her. Her uh, t- title Topsy, The Startling Story of the Crooked Tail Evident Elephant by Michael Daly. Yeah, poor Topsy. Poor Topsy. It, it is, poor Topsy. A, it's yeah, a, of course, you know, Canada had an elephant as well. Do you know who, <laughs> we did. Do you, do you know who, who can, speaking of Canada Day and tying her into Topsy, we had Jumbo. Jumbo? Jumbo, Jumbo came from, um, this is in the 1800s, Jumbo came um, or, or maybe early 1900s because I don't have that written down in front of me. But Jumbo came from New York, and it came from P.T. Barnum. And Jumbo was um, quite the attraction up here for a while. And Jumbo got hit by a train and died. Oh, oh my gosh. So, yeah. So but we did have Jumbo. How, how did they not see an elephant in the railway? Well, it's not like they can veer off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. If it had just been a moose, the train would be dead. <laughs> yes, <that's right. laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. Anyway, I know the elephants don't fare well in in a lot of history stories. Yeah. No, they yeah. don't. It, okay, so they're gonna have the revenge someday. Yeah. <laughs> if we don't it's kill not, them all first, it's not gonna be good. Elephants will take over. Come the world. to think of it, you know, um, I think I'm. Babar will lead. I've them. got to look. <laughs> yeah, I've got to look this up, but I think. 
the Jumbo the Elephant that came up here that was uh, part of B.T. Barnum's circus was the elephant that walked across the Brooklyn Bridge with a parade to prove that the bridge was safe. So I think Jumbo lived a pretty exciting life. That elephant had a better life than I at this point. Yeah. <laughs> More exciting <laughs> no. life than mine. <laughs> Everyone thinks the Planet of the Apes was fake, but I'm telling you now, the elephants are coming. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it reversed. Their leader is going to be known as Babar. Yes. Babar. <laughs> The comments is gone. I'm not necessarily knows. I left okay. the valley subsidiaries. <laughs> okay, moving on to another animal story. Number six. Number six, which happened um, on December the 5th, is a wonderful story that has to do with the bras for pigeons. Ooh, bras for pigeons. Bras for pigeons, yep. Let's play that. Why am I getting excited? Carrier pigeons were used in World War II to send messages and to send film and to uh, send blood samples from hospitals. And the way the carrier pigeons worked were the, para- the, the parachuters would take the, the carrier pigeons and put them inside of their, their vests. Mm-hmm. And when they would land behind enemy lines or wherever they were going, they would release the, the carrier pigeons with whatever notes that they had about where they were or how the battles were going. But by stuffing these poor little pigeons in their clothes, a lot of the pigeons weren't making it on landing because they were either getting smothered or they were getting hurt. Yeah, so the armed forces and the parachutes now had to come up with a way because uh, uh, carrier pigeons were really an important uh, form of communication, believe it or not, during during World War II. Mm -hmm. And they would make it. They, you know, they could fly pretty fast and they could make it back. But they had to find a way to 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 have the, the carrier pigeons be carried securely and safely so they could be released and, and make it back. So the armed forces began to think, hmm, Ida and maiden form are already doing parachutes. Maybe that material would also be good for carrying the pigeons. And the armed forces and Ida Rosenthal got together and they designed the pigeon bra. (laughs) (laughs) They called it the pigeon breast, but believe me, it was a little pigeon bra. For little peepers? (laughs) For for little (laughs) peepers. It was. And the, the vest was made out of very porous material. It had a very tight woven fabric underneath so the pigeon's claws wouldn't damage the mesh. And the vest was shaped to the body of the pigeon, leaving their little heads and neck and wing tips and so forth exposed. And then the vest was attached to the outside of the paratrooper's jacket and he could actually put his hand over, you know, the eyes or so yeah, forth yeah, and, yeah. and hold the, 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 para, the, uh, the, the pigeon in. Well, um, once the paratroopers hit the ground, they'd release the pigeons and it, it was such a success. Um, they tested it out and the, the, the way that the, the vests were made, the little bras were made, that in 1944, Maiden Form agreed to make 28,500 pigeons vests for the U.S. government, and they all had a little warning stamped inside of it that said, this is so wonderful, important, do not retain pigeon invest in excess of six hours. 
So in the planes, getting the pigeons ready, they would take them out of the cages, put them in their little vests, and then when they you know, had the rip cords off, they would go. And so uh, the pigeons were so valuable that actually during World War II, some of the pigeons got medals for heroic service in the way that they were able to fly. The unsung heroes of World War II, the pigeons. The unsung heroes, maiden form and pigeons were the unsung heroes of, and so maiden form went on and, and did this wonderful campaign of I dreamt I went swimming or I dreamt I went to the ball <laughs> in my maiden form, but they never they never had any advertising. <laughs> to, to, you know. What a wonderful and story. Pigeon. Isn't it a wonderful well, story? You're, you're, you're talking about boobs and cruelty to animals, so Kevin, you need to throw a Pamela Anderson clip in here. Oh, what a way to go. <laughs> uh, what a wonderful little well story. I, well I love that story because it's it, it just so incongruous, you know, that, but it, just, it was just brilliant, you know, the, the way the, the bra company it's, and It's the, the image um, you the form image. in your mind of seeing a pigeon with a little vest. It also works that I wonder how many Nazis they pooed on. <laughs> yeah, instead of unleashed a crack, right? Release yeah. the pigeons! <laughs> Look, I lived in a place where there were pigeons. Way too many pigeons. <laughs> you guys have never been serenaded by good pigeon sex, have you? I have, I have. actually. <laughs> growing up, we had a pet pigeon that would sit on your head. It yeah. was amazing. What well, kind we, of freaking <laughs> life do you guys have? I had two pigeons outside my apartment window when I was in Nova Scotia, and they had a nest. And I'm Aww. telling you, man, you never heard anything like getting woken up to good pigeon sex. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, this show is taking a turn. For <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving right on. Number, yeah, number five. Number five. I, I had pro I had to have a problem with number five, but I, I wanted to, to kind of pay homage, pay homage to a group of um, uh, stories and individuals with with number five. So what I did was I combined uh, number five in a trio that represented inventions and daredevils because we've had you know through the through the years we've had a lot of inventions and and daredevils. So this is a this is a clip that um, that uh, recognizes all of them. Do you have the clip, or do I need to? Explain I just it? I just have the clip of the barrel. Oh, okay. Well, the uh, the two inventions are on, on May twenty second. This is really fascinating. Abraham Lincoln, who was the president in eighteen forty nine, actually invented. He's the only president that has a, a a patent to his name. He invented a Boeing device um, that it was designed to lift boats over the shoals yeah. and obstructions in a river. It's just in case this whole president thing wasn't, wasn't going to work out, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's fallback plan. That's yeah, his who, fallback. Who was that? That's Which president cool. was that? Yeah. Clearly wasn't Trump. Yeah, so he, he invented this in 1849. It was on the books. I think it was an invention that was actually actually used, but they never found out about it until 1997 wow. when they were looking through the records for one reason or another. So I think that's really interesting. Um, April the 11th, I love this invention. 
April 11th. In 1972, um, this guy whose name was Lewis Topple invented a smoking deterrent, <laughs> but none you've ever, you'd, you'd ever heard of that worked like this. What it was was a cigarette package that produced a simulated coughing sound when the package <laughs> was picked up. <laughs> so he, this guy came from Chicago, and according to the patent abstract, here we go, the simulated coughing noises are produced from a battery-driven disc recording played through a miniature loudspeaker in the package, and the patent described the production of the sound using a miniature record player, and the invention was also suggested for use as an advertising novelty. A so miniature rec record player a miniature in a pack of cigarettes. In a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. And, and so Singing Hallmark cards were born. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. You Scott. might be on something. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't I have uh, but I have the clip of the third one. The third one. Which yeah. is which is a wonderful, wonderful lady whose name is Annie Edson Taylor. And I'll tell you something about her after you play the trick. All right, clip. let's listen in. She was the first woman to wow. go. She was. And um, she decided that she wanted to do this so that maybe she could make some money and avoid the poorhouse. So she actually, she was the first person, not only the first woman, but the first person. So um, before she went down and they they had a custom-made barrel, they sent a cat over. <laughs> they sent a cat <laughs> And this isn't even a baseball story, Kevin. <laughs> they, sent, they sent the cat over. That, that is the worst nightmare for a cat, I can I imagine. And, but he went over in her barrels to see whether or not... Over would, a waterfall for a yeah, cat. Yeah, so the cat made it. Believe it or not, so the cat made it. So Andy said, okay, the cat made it. It's my turn. So they brought her out there, and she had a lucky heart-shaped pillow that she brought with her. They pumped all the air out of the, um, out of the, the barrel so that she wouldn't roll around in there, um, plugged the hole up with a cork, and off she went right near Goat Island. And the currents carried her over the the uh, Canadian side of Horseshoe Falls, and that's since been the site of all of the daredevil stunting at Niagara Falls. So they reached her barrel shortly after the plunge, and she was alive, relatively uninjured, except for a tiny gash, and the trip took um, about 20 minutes, but it was some time before they actually got to her. So she earned a lot of money about her experience and never was able to build, you know, a lot of wealth. And here's, again, another funny twist that her manager ran away with the barrel. <laughs> and most of her most of her savings were used for a private detective to try to find it. So they eventually found it in Chicago, but then it disappeared again. So she uh, had, you know, she went downhill, really. <laughs> I just realized what I said. She went down. <laughs> downstream, downstream. Downstream. She went downstream. Thank you. She went downstream really quick. But uh, she attempted to write a novel and so forth and so on. But she died at age 82. And believe it or not, she is interred in the stunters section of Oakwood Cemetery in Niagara Falls. Did you know there was a stunters section? Wow. <laughs> so, That's a good story. And I just love that gaffe you made there, too. So, I, I, do, I know. <laughs> here's, here's the capper on that. Last year... 
<clears throat> I was down in uh, in Bellingham, Washington. Uh, no, actually, I was in Linden, Washington, mm. which is just south of us. And they have an antique mall, and they have in this antique mall a second floor, which is an attic, and it's not well air conditioned and it's not well heated. But that's where they have all of the bargains that um, have been sitting at everybody's you know booth for years, and so they have to clear this section out. And I always go up. I'm a thrift shopper, so I always go up there first just to see you know what's been rejected and see if there's any bargains and see if there's anything interesting. So I'm up wandering around and I see the back wall and something looks really familiar to me hanging on the back wall but I can't it's a black and white photo but I can't quite uh, picture it until I'm walking closer and closer and closer and oh my gosh there it was on the back wall in the thrift section hidden away almost in the corner where you could barely see her was a photograph of Annie Edson Taylor and her barrel. Amazing. Amazing. What are the odds? And I'm thinking, yeah, what, who in the world? And I, I, I remember you brought it here, right? Yeah, yeah. I grabbed it from the wall and I thought, I just can't believe it. And I, I went down to, to pay for it. I think it was like eight bucks or something like that. And I got it and the lady's looking and I said, do you do you have any idea who this is? And the lady's looking at me like, oh, everybody wants to tell um, me a story. You have to you have to tell her this after you paid for it, right? After <laughs> <laughs> don't tell her this before. Yeah. So I, after I paid for it, I I told her you know how how you know sometimes you run across you know these wonderful little treasures when you least expect them. So on my wall, I do have this wonderful black and white photo of Annie, oh, the woman who went downhill. And <laughs> I don't think you you played the beginning of the the clip but she was 63 years old when she went over when she went over oh my gosh she was 60 she years. was hugging that pillow really tight and she I was hugging that Holy pillow cow. like crazy yeah yeah <laughs> all love, right yeah love love that photograph because anybody that would do this as a daredevil at 63 you anybody know, who would do this in the first no matter what age you are yeah, yeah exactly yeah all right, Just moving on. Number four. Moving on to number four on January the 23rd. Um, this is a really great story that we pull out at Halloween every now and then, and it's called The Greenbrier Ghost. Ooh, I love this. Uh, yeah, me too. Let's listen to this. January the 23rd, one of my favorite history stories occurred on January the 23rd because the story itself is the perfect confluence of reality and woo-woo. And you know, <laughs> we love reality and woo-woo when it all comes together so perfectly. So the story is in 1897, a young lady named Elva Zona Heaster was found dead in Greenbrier County, West Virginia. And the resulting murder trial of her husband is perhaps the only case in U.S. history where the alleged testimony of a ghost helped secure a conviction. It's a great story because it has a wonderful cast of characters. It's a great um, location, which is the U.S. almost south. And, as I said, lots of woo-woo. So here's into the story. Elvisona Heaster married a good-looking local blacksmith from 
Droop Mountain, West Virginia. <laughs> oh, I love it. And his name was Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe. And they called him Trout for short. Of all the names, Trout looks like the one I would I would go for too for a nickname. Elvis Nothing fishy Mo- about that. Yeah. <laughs> Elvis' mother Mary um, was very wary of Shoe. She just didn't like him, but uh, he was good looking. And because Zona had had a child out of wedlock earlier, she figured this is the best she's going to do. So she decided she's going to have to live with it. But three months later, after the wedding, a neighbor discovered Elvis' lifeless body and ran for the doctor. It took an hour for the doctor to come back to the house. But when he came back, Trout had laid her out on the bed and prepared her for burial with a veil covering her face and he was very flighty and very strange and he really wouldn't let the doctor examine her correctly and the doctor who probably didn't graduate at the head of his class found nothing amiss and with what he could see so he pronounced her the cause of death as a a cause that only women would have and that is an everlasting faint I've never, I would never remember a man ever having, a, you know, a diagnosis of everlasting faint. I think that but, those were caused by Elvis, weren't they? Elvis. <laughs> everlasting faint. Everlasting faint. So Mary Jane, the mother, was convinced the trout murdered her daughter, and she prayed for her daughter to come back for the dead and reveal the truth about her. She tossed and turned and had nightmares about, about the death. And weeks later, she finally went to the local prosecutor, whose name was John Preston, and said that her daughter had appeared to her as a ghost and revealed the fact that Trout had abused and strangled her. So the the, um, the prosecutor, Preston, may or may not have believed the story, but upon investigating Trout a little further, he found that Trout had been married twice before and that the second wife had been found dead under suspicious circumstances. So already we're getting into territory of uh, forensic. Um, what is that program? Does anybody watch Forensic Files where it, it has all of these strange or there's, an, there's another program now that has a, a detective and, and somebody that that uh, is a seer of the dead. There's, I I forget what that is, but this is getting into into that territory in eight in the eighteen hundreds. Anyway, he decided that he was going to exhume the body, and he did. And according to the local paper, which was the Pocahontas Times, <laughs> there was ample evidence to convict Trout Shoe. So they went to trial, and the jury really thought that that Mary Hester was credible, and they convicted they convicted Shoe. So Shu, who now wanted to be called Edward instead of Trout, was convicted, sent to prison, and later died of measles. And a historical marker in Greenbrier County says, Greenbrier Ghost, interred in nearby cemetery, is Zona Heaster Shu, only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. What a fantastic story. It that is. Was. It's just all the names. I love all the names. I don't know whether I love the names of the story, <laughs> the facts of the story. But anyway, it did. It just it came together. I love that story. I really do. Yeah, there's, uh, it's, it's such a, every, every Halloween we just about tell that story. Yeah. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful little 
yeah. you would not believe such a thing, you know, but it would make a great movie too. It would, but you know, you really have to hand it to um, to uh, Zona's mother. She, she you know, must she have been a hell of an actress. Yeah, I mean, she really deserves one of those. Uh, Nevertheless, she persisted T-shirts. <laughs> she was great. Number three. Okay, here we go. Right. Um, we are down to number three, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an April Fool's story, and it has oh, to I do. And this has to do with the spaghetti harvest in Italy. Yes. <laughs> oh yes, you'll love this. Thing. That's not real. <laughs> Let's listen in. One of the greatest April Fool's hoaxes ever broadcast by all the organizations happened, and BBC perpetrated what they called the Spaghetti Tree Hoax. Oh, yes. And that was a three-minute hoax um, on April Fool's Day by the BBC. And what the BBC did, um, they purportedly showed a family in southern Switzerland harvesting spaghetti from the family spaghetti tree. (laughs) At the time, spaghetti really wasn't known that much in the UK, so a lot of Britons were totally unaware that spaghetti was made from wheat and flour and water and was a, a uh, prepared product rather one that nature suddenly decided. I so want a spaghetti tree. <laughs> so, yeah, so a number of viewers <laughs> afterward contacted the BBC for advice on how to grow their own spaghetti tree. Oh, <laughs> so, boy. So it was, it was a while. <laughs> I don't, I, do you think it, they wanted it grown with the sauce? Do you think there was a sauce tree <laughs> that you could put next to the spaghetti tree and then a meatball tree? No. Just make sure you don't mix your spaghetti tree with your fettuccine tree. <laughs> oh, that's such a good story. It is, and I, you know, I planted a little spaghetti tree in my backyard, <laughs> but it, it comes out all like fusily. I don't know; it's just all twisted. I can't imagine why. I think a story like that speaks a lot to the sense of humor of even a big corporation like the BBC. That once in a while, you like to. Take life on the lighter side. You know? Yeah, I love I love the Brits. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Number two. And moving on to Kevin's all-time favorite. Oh, I don't know. It's <laughs> one of two for sure. One, I know. I came down oh. to one of two, and so I had to name them, you know, two or one. But they're really tied in terms of, you know, the hilarity award for for the hysterical history. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and the number two is from March thirteenth, the Florida grapefruit baseball story. Oh, another oh, baseball yes. story. Oh, okay, let's listen in. Moving on to March 13th, it's Canine Veterans Day. And here, this is a wonderful story. You, you will love this story. Picture this, 1915. Wilbert Robinson is a 52-year-old manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And the Brooklyn Dodgers were playing a, a team exhibition game in Florida. And the manager, Wilbert, agreed to catch a baseball from a low-flying airplane. This is 1915. <laughs> so some of these fixed wings jobs, right? Well, you know, baseball is so boring to begin with. I can <laughs> see why they do that. You need to space right. it up. <laughs> so, so none of the players would accept the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> How, who knew? <laughs> so he decided, you know, it was his idea. He's, he's the one that has to follow through. So the team's in Daytona Beach and for spring training, and as a turn 
turned out there was a female aviatrix named Ruth Law who was also in Daytona Beach dropping golf balls from her plane as a publicity gimmick for a local golf course. This gets better and better. How many people died? I know. And Ruth Law, you've got to look her up on Google. She flew with the Wright brothers. I mean, this woman did loop the loop. She was unstoppable. She was a great character. So they got Ruth, and of course, if it's a gimmick, you know, and she's a woman pilot, she's going to say, yeah, I'll do it. So the the Dodgers recruited her to help execute the ball drop, but as fate would have it, either she wasn't given the baseball or they told her something else, but she did not have the baseball in the plane. But she did have a grapefruit in her lunch. (laughs) (laughs) See, this this is the kind of history you should learn in history class. I know. So she's flying low, and she reaches into the bag and gets her grapefruit and tosses out the window where she sees that Wilbert Robinson is standing there ready for the big catch. (laughs) So he's all prepared to catch it, and he misses, and the grapefruit strikes him in the chest and explodes. (laughs) And he he falls to the ground thinking he's mortally wounded because this grapefruit, which is like a ruby red grapefruit, <laughs> breaks open. His <laughs> heart exploded or something. And he feels it, and all he feels is his pulp, and he thinks <laughs> he thinks his chest has exploded. Oh my god! And he looks around, and he thinks his teammates are going to be running to get the ambulance, and they're all standing there laughing. <laughs> and so. He can't say, what the heck is going on? <laughs> so finally he looks down and he realizes, oh, wait, this isn't me. It's a grapefruit. <laughs> so needless to say, the team was not very happy with him for the rest. He, he made their life miserable for the rest of that game. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> what a wonderful, was, wonderful it's story. It's a wonderful and, – and from that day forward – um, the, uh, Wilbur, the manager, referred to planes as fruit flies. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's a wonderful story. It is. All it's right. a it's a wonderful story, and and the the reason behind it is that back in those days. The, all of the teams had to think of some kind of stunts, you know, during, the, you know, like the seventh inning stitch. So that was, you know, to draw the audiences. And, because baseball and bring was so boring. In. Yeah, so, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had, I mean, they had wrestlers come. They had bed, they had everything. So it was a publicity a publicity stunt that went even better or worse, depending <laughs> on who you are. Better, definitely better. <laughs> definitely better, yeah. It's, a, it's wonderful. It's, uh, just, it's really great. We're down to, we should have a drum roll. Number one. We're down to our number one story. Which is Spy Kitty. Oh my gosh, I love the Spy Kitties. Acoustic Kitty. Acoustic Kitty. Fantastic. That was such a great clip. Let's listen in. At the height of the Cold War, officials in the United States hatched a covert plan to keep tabs on the Russians in Washington, D.C. They would they decided, deploy surveillance cats. I, I kid you not. 
cats surgically implanted surveillance cats surgically implanted with microphones and radio transmitters to slip by security and eavesdrop on activity at the Soviet embassy. Now this is true. Wow. I, this is this is absolute. This is not fake news. This Here's is, your mission, double O pussy. Juice accepted. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't make a movie this good. That's right. You got the transcripts of. <laughs> That's right. We know it's true. Kevin has a transcript. <laughs> anyway, the project went by the thinly disguised code name, Acoustic Kitty. And <laughs> 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 this is so much fun. Anyway, they operated on this poor cat, put batteries in him, and wired him up. And this was according to a guy that wrote a book. His name was Victor Marchetti. And he was the executive assistant to the director of the CIA in the 1960s. So a, a book came out of this actually in 2001 called The Wizards of Langley. So it's in the book and it's, uh, it's in Google. No problem to find it. Anyway, here he, this poor little kitty is with the batteries and everything else. And the final little thing that they did to to, to really make this embarrassing to the cat was his tail was used as an antenna. <laughs> <laughs> what an iniquity to this poor cat. So um, in, in this book, The Wizards of Langley, he characterized it by saying they made a monstrosity. <laughs> anyway, so now they've got this whiskered, yowling, unbelievably expensive monstrosity. They put... The CIA put $10 million into designing, operating on, and training the first acoustic kitty. And that's according to several accounts. You know, it only cost $6 million for Lee Majors. Yeah, I was just thinking that in 1970, what was it, 1976 or whatever. Yeah. $6 million man. I know, and here is the bionic cat, you know, costing more money. Anyway, so they they get this poor kitty all stitched up and wired up and his tail is up in the air and it finally came time for the inaugural mission and the CIA agents released one of the agents who was a rookie agent from the back of a nondescript van and watched as he set out on his mission. So Acoustic Kitty dashed off toward the embassy, making it all of 10 feet before he was uncer- unceremoniously struck by a passing taxi. No! 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 you lie! You are lying! Can you imagine? Can you imagine? There they were, these agents sitting in the van, and the cat was $10 million roadkill in the middle of the Unbelievable. Oh, so, my God. So the CIA eventually scrapped the project, including, according to partially redacted documents um, in, uh, in George Washington University archives, that despite the energy and imagination of those involved, they decided it would not be practical to continue to try and train cats <laughs> as spies. That is the best story. <laughs> I, I, I have to say that was, yeah. That, that I, was I, can, I mean, every time, every time I hear the story, I picture 
the van with those agents <laughs> oh sitting God. in it, their jaws. Just how do we explain? Do we explain you know, we got splaining to do it. <laughs> you know, like, like what our jobs are obviously <laughs> on the line. I'm just trying to picture the one agent looking at the other one, going, "Lucy, we have splaining to do." <laughs> <That's right. laughs> oh, and, uh, it's just. I mean, it's just... Such a fantastic story. It's a fantastic story. Absolutely. And, you know, stranger than fiction. It is. And it's in the you back of my mind that. is that I, I, I wonder if that story really is a fictional plant and all these... But it's so well-researched that, no, it belongs in the annals of history I, forevermore. I looked it up. There's a Wikipedia article about it. And Wikipedia <laughs> is always right. That's right. <laughs> As we learn from citation needed... That's right. That's my mantra. If it's Wikipedia, it's worth broadcasting. Go for it. And that was our top 10 best moment of this day in history. And thank you very much. That was fun. There's a lot of me, unfortunately, that you had That's to wade through, okay. but the stories are great. You know, today's a historic day, Canada's 150th anniversary. You know, why not go do a little trip? And my 2000th anniversary, so <laughs> <laughs> at least. You are a time. I'm Lord. I <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Time for my rant. Now, whenever I travel to the U.S., I'm often asked about Canada. It seems most Americans know very little about their cousins to the Great White North. That's because their education is American-centric and leaves very little for anything else. So I usually respond that Canadians are unarmed Americans with health care. That's usually good for a laugh. But in reality, we are so much more. Yes, it's true that we watch much American TV and incorporate some American values by osmosis. Just think of all the Canadian idiots parroting, That's socialism! They've obviously been watching too much American news. I think most Canadians would agree that much of our national identity rests on the We're not like the Americans principle. And trust me, that's a good thing. Sure, we like guns like the US, but don't shoot each other like they do. If you adjust the numbers per capita, you are seven times more likely to be shot in the U.S., and their death by gun is at least five to six times greater. Despite our small numbers, we've managed to be part of the G8 and have achieved the highest level of education worldwide, while our southern neighbors are destroying the education system with the help of the churches. While we move towards the future, they are one step away from theocracy. They have a strong military, sure, but we have the better soldier. Our leaders have recognized the role of women in governing. When Trudeau said his cabinet would be half women, because it's the 21st century, he sent a clear message, one that leaders are now mimicking. While our American cousins are enlarging the chasm between rich and poor, we are trying the universal revenue avenue. While borders are closing to refugees, we are welcoming them with open arms and proving to the world that the multicultural experiment can work when everyone is treated fairly. The American dream has moved north. Canada is now the beacon of hope in the world. So, America, you're no longer number one. So, happy birthday, Canada. 150 years young and looking pretty damn good. And that takes us to the end of our show. Well, thank you so much, guys, for being with us on the show. Uh, if you uh, want to, you can always follow us at leftofvalley.com. You can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, at LATV Podcast. 
can send us an email at lift@valley@outlook.com. If you uh, go on iTunes, give us a five-star review that helps others find the show. That'd be great. Coming up next week, we have Dan Barker from the Ooh. Freedom from Religion Foundation. That Ooh. should be interesting. Ooh. Also, my man, man Pete Bogosian is coming back on the show. We'll oh. have a nice chat with him. And Dr. Richard Carrier, the historian, oh will join us as well. Wow. I'm so excited. And Me we will too. also have a uh, show called Has Feminism Gone Too Far? That uh, is definitely a discussion that needs to be t- exactly. needs to ha- be had. Perfect. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. And instead of uh, leaving us with the usual theme song, we're just going to leave you with Tim Hicks' video, Stronger Beer, which of course makes the difference between Canada and the U.S. Until next time. All our money looks pretend Yeah, we got Brian Adams Yeah, you got Bruce Springsteen But we can't drink in bars when we're just 19 You got Brad Pitt, but we got Keanu Reeves But we got the best leg fishing, you best believe Yeah, you make fun of us Cause we spell color with you Think you're all that, Mr. Red, White, and Blue? We say hey, you say y'all. Yeah, we both got pro football. Except we got big balls in a longer field. We say Z, you say Z. Sure, we watch all your TV. You got a stronger armor down there, the men up here. We got stronger beer. Dunkin' Donuts, we got Timmy's We got more land, but bro, you got more cities You sure love the NFL, MLB, and the NBA But to the great wide north, hockey is the only game Hey, we say hey, you say y'all Yeah, we both got pro football Except we got big balls in a long Watch on your TV. You got a stronger army down there. A man up here. We got stronger beer. So here's to you, my southern neighbor. All kidding aside. It takes me six beers to get pissed drunk. But for you, it takes nine. Sucker.